everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby. If you're brand new to the show, the show is all about a little well-known card game called Magic: The Gathering. And on today's episode, we brought on none other than Brittany, aka MTG Nerd Girl, and we talked a lot about content creation and just her likes and dislikes of Magic and Limited and so much more. I had such a great time talking with her. But before we get into that little conversation. We have some announcements to make. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can help support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Uh You can find me on Twitter at MagicWithZuby, on Instagram at Magic underscore with underscore Zuby. Find me on TikTok at MTGZuby. And, um, 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 what is, oh, email, MTGZuby at gmail.com. And, yeah, if you want to also help support me, make sure you check out the show's sponsor, cardsphere.com the best place to buy trade and sell your magic singles and sealed product a uh, really great company really great set of people who run the company and website you know best trading card website on in existence on the planet in the world so without further ado please help me welcome mtg nerd girl to the show everybody zuby here and i have with me uh none other than mtg nerd girl um thank you for you know finally taking time to well, i don't mean finally but just finally we're able to get this done here um i feel like we've gone back and forth um life has gotten in the way in order to try to get this done but thank you for um coming on here and chatting with me today of course thanks for having me so I wanted to start off with, uh, give me a little bit about you. I know there's a lot of people out there that know um, who you are, but for anyone who may not be aware, uh, so who are you and what do you do? Uh, so I'm known in the magic world as MTG Nerd Girl. Um, you might know me as Brittany if you played with me live. I started doing content creation about four years ago. Um, I was playing a ton of competitive paper magic and having a really good time uh, doing like limited GPs and things like that. And a lot of my friends suggested that I should start streaming, that uh, it would be a ton of fun. And I kind of just jumped right in and I've loved it ever since. So I do a ton on Twitch. I'm starting YouTube and yeah, I just mostly do limited shenanigans. Awesome. So you said you started playing a lot of paper magic. Um... Or, or you, you were doing a lot of paper magic back then. Um, were you just mainly doing the GP circuit? Were you part of SCG or anything? No, Star City Games uh, is kind of more like focused on the, the East Coast side of things. I was from California. Oh, yeah, so that's I right. Mostly... You're on the other coast. <laughs> and the other thing is, is I also only do limited, which Star City Games doesn't really touch on. So it's never been that's something true. I've actively sought after. I did do um, like one team Star City event with um uh, aaron and tom ross and that was really fun but for the most part i try to stick to my 40 card formats because you know 60 cards don't quite fit in my hand and you can't <laughs> shuffle it real well so so what is it about limited that you that you like a lot at to me, Limited is a completely different game from any constructed format it's the difference between monopoly and risk um 
not to say, you know, one is easier than the other as far as comparison, but just like the play style is so different. One is, you know, practice and preparation and muscle memory, brain memory, as as I like to call it. But limited is more improv. Everything is a little different. Everything is a little bit more low to the ground. Um, you know, the games are a bit more grindy and you never know quite what is going to happen, which is what I love about limited. Whereas in Constructed, you get to these like weird fights where it's like, who resolves your Teferi first? You win. Okay, who drew more Uros? You yeah. win. Yeah. And I I don't find those things fun. No, I, I know what you mean. It, for the longest time, I only played Limited. This is before I discovered really Commander and then before I started playing Standard and all that. Um, the, the thing that I love about Limited was especially, you know, I, I'm more of just a casual player nowadays. And the, the thing that I love about Limited is just being able to go to an LGS on a Friday night and just, you know, pay your 10, 15 bucks for drafting and just have a great time doing it. And, and plus, it, like you said, it feels like you're on a lot more of an even playing field. And the thing that I really like about it is every card in the set matters. Where in Constructed, there's only going to be a few cards that actually matter. Definitely. I mean, that's definitely changed a little bit over the last few years. There used to be a lot more chaff in each set to where things were just unplayable. Yeah. But you're right. That's basically out the window now. No color has more than one or two unplayable cards in Limited, and you can you know, find a reason or a particular deck for almost any card, which is really fun. Yeah. And how long have you been playing Magic for now? Like, for what set did you start off with? I started somewhere in between 6th and 7th uh, edition. Nice. I know I, I was... The first couple of packs I was buying was Judgment, uh, Invasion, somewhere around there. I know I definitely mm. was around for the launch of the Thorn Elemental promo book box <laughs> thing. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's why I know it was somewhere between 6th and 7th. But um, I'm not quite sure because as a kid, you just kind of buy whatever packs are on the shelves. So I don't know which Pretty set much. was like, you know, the top tier one or whatever. It, did you um actually have a store you played in back then or was it just... You went to a store, randomly bought packs, played with friends. So I did play only at a store. Um, I actually got into, I was doing other games at a hobby store, and that's what got me into Magic. I was, my, my introduction to nerddom as a small child was, I guess I wasn't even that young, but um, Mage Knights. Mage One Knights. Of the, Why does that sound familiar? Uh, it's the precursor to Hero Clicks. It uh, oh, is like a okay. like Warhammer kind of miniaturized where it's got yeah. like the little clicks at the bottom and then summer came around and a D&D group started playing each day so they you know overlapped with my mage night group and then they were like hey you should come play play some D&D &D. and then we we're playing D&D &D one day and I'm like hey what, what are you guys doing over there when it's not your turn I'm like oh this is magic you should come on Friday I was like all right I'll come check it out so uh you know I just ended up going every day of the week forever <laughs> oh dang that's awesome that's awesome um it's I I definitely want to touch base on D and D because I love D and D. Um, but it, it, as far as did did you um did they have draft back then? Like, were you playing draft or was it just uh standard or was it type one, type two back then? Yeah, type type two, type one. Um, we were mostly playing the equivalent of like you know whatever the standard was at the time. Yeah. Uh, I didn't develop my love for limited until much later when you know I was. A little older and had uh expendable income essentially so i yeah. could draft but the drafting <laughs> i don't think it became super popular until much later at least it wasn't at the card stores i was at okay 
Okay. Yeah, it's um, I I I didn't we didn't have a card store here, so I'm, I'm over in Florida. It's I, I started around Urza Saga, and we didn't have a card store or anything. I can't recall my first card store here until. God, what set would have been out in like 2009, 2010? Whatever. Okay, far more recent, but yeah. I think uh, M12. <laughs> so I took a big break and came back around uh, 2011, which was like yeah. M12. Yeah. yeah. So whatever was before that. Yeah, so that had to have been like Zendikar or something like that, maybe, I guess. Yeah, uh, um, yeah that's, that sounds right. Yeah, because I, I didn't play Magic back then, but I didn't get back into Magic Hardcore until, like, the Innistrad set was out, and I haven't stopped since. Um, but, yeah, that that's, um, yeah, it took Florida a while, or at least in my area, for us to even get a card store. So, it's like, when I hear you say, like, oh, yeah, we had a card store back when, like, Odyssey Judgment was out, I'm like, oh, man, I'm jealous. It's like, yeah, shit, I wish we had something like that, man. That would have been awesome. Um I'm sure my childhood would have been way different <laughs> if there had been something like that. I lived at that card store every every oh, day man. of the week, especially in the summer. We'd play D&D four days, Mage Knights one day. Oh, man. Crazy, wow. yeah. Holy crap, four days. Oh, yeah. Man, I'm, I'm jealous, man. That that sounds awesome. That's, um... I, <laughs> not that my summers were bad growing up or anything. It's like when, when you live in a place where it's... I mean, my my hometown has grown considerably over the years, but back as a kid, the only thing we would do would just be ride our bikes around the town all day and just either play outside all day or go play video games. That'd be about where it. Where are you at? In, where are you at in Florida? Uh, we I am just north of Tampa, um, in okay. a little town called Spring Hill. So I lived in Destin for a little while, and there was a little little bit of a hike to any any game store. So. Oh, okay, okay. So you're Flor natural Floridian? No, or I'm from California, but I've moved oh. around for a bit. I uh, okay. I took a year off school, moved to Florida, and I spent a year so just sorry. playing full full time <laughs> poker magic. Oh, dang! That's right. That's right. You're also a poker player. Um, forgot about that. Um, that's awesome. So. What what brought you to Florida exactly? Uh, just to play full time poker and magic. Oh dang! Uh, when you're playing full time poker, is is that primarily online, or did you have to go to the, a casino or something to do that? Or yeah, I was a casino player. Okay, okay. Was that the Hard Rock or what other casinos? So I played. I played a lot of um, poker at the Hard Rock in. Uh, in Miami area, but then when I moved up to Destin for well, a little over like eight-ish months, it was mostly just playing full-time Magic. I was traveling around to basically a GP every weekend. Okay. And uh, yeah, that was a really fun grind time for sure. Do do you miss that current? I mean, I mean, I know with the pandemic you can't exactly travel, and heck, there's no Magic Fest anyway. But do do you miss that going to grind every weekend like that? Um, I mean, it's exhausting like anything else. I do full-time content creation. Everybody thinks it's the, the greatest thing in the world, and it, it is, but it doesn't matter what you do. You know, once you turn something into work, it becomes work. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can only imagine because you're, you're streaming just almost every day and um, not, not even just counting all the, the other stuff you must be doing too, like the behind-the-scenes, the YouTube videos, the 
marketing, the who, whatever all else you're doing, it's got to be a lot. It's probably definitely um, not like a regular nine to five job. Podcast guest star appearances. Yes, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I, I work typically about 14 to 16 hours a day. Um, that That is all I do. That has been my life for the last four years. I've stopped poker. I've stopped everything. I stream. I try to stream eight to 12 hours a day uh, in mm-hmm. addition to giveaways, sponsorship, acquisition, and emails, and business side of things. I take one day off, which is Mondays, so that way I can jump onto podcasts, uh, edit YouTube videos, catch up on, uh, you know, just all of the business side of things, and usually maybe wash a load of laundry or something. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, it's I kind of understand where you're coming from because it's I've got a full-time career, and then I try to do this, and um, I'm also trying to get back into streaming again, but... Man, I'm also working on a little project where I'm trying to write a D&D book, uh, write a D&D adventure module. And oof, that's taken up a lot of time, too. It's I, I didn't realize like how much work just gets involved in just writing a little module. Um, but no, that, that's awesome. Um, quick question on the the poker, though. So how does one become like a professional poker player? Like, like, what are the steps to do that if someone wanted to do that? I'm just curious. Uh, step one, don't suck at poker. Um, <laughs> step, step two, sit down at a table and be profitable. And that's basically all you need to do to call yourself a professional poker player. I mean, if, oh, if you're a professional, you're just making money at it, right? And yeah. that's basically what I did to put myself through college. And I played oh, nice. full-time and I dealt for a very short time, but I did, did deal um, I was looking to prop, which is basically when casinos hire you to play mm-hmm. um, just so they can keep their games running. So, oh, yeah, I was just okay. very immersed in the world of poker for many, many years while also going to school. And it's great. That's really interesting. It's um, how, how does one even like get good at poker? And this has come from someone who like, you know, I know the basics of it, but like it, it there's so much of it feels like such a game of chance, but I guess there's a lot of bluffing involved or a lot of reading your opponents. No different than magic. Oh, true. Yeah. Practice, um, read books, you know, watch content is, is honestly mm. how, how you can get good at it. And I was actually not very good at magic. And then I, you know, took a break. Mm-hmm. I played super casually as a kid. I had like squirrel decks or some nonsense. Um, little white weenie decks, things like that. And then I played poker, you know, became an adult. And I came back to Magic and Limited is a lot like poker in that you have a certain number of cards that are possible, but you don't know if they possess those cards. Whereas in Constructed, you know, basically within the first two lands they play, you know, 74 out of 75 of their cards. Um, Yeah. So trying to count their outs, count their mana base, be like, these are the five different cards that could blow me out. You know, this is their rarity level. What's the likelihood that they have it? And then you decide whether or not it's um, basically pot odds to make a certain play based on all that information. So Hmm. it's... uh, Anyway, where I was going with that was when I came back to Magic from poker, I realized like, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. And I sat down at my first REL event never having done anything more than like a local card store draft before and just top 32'd the largest GP at the time 
on accident oh, without wow. having seen any of the cards. That's awesome. Yeah, I was playing like round 14 or something with contention for top eight, reading my opponent's cards. And they're like, oh my God, I'm going to die to this girl who doesn't know what the cards do. <laughs> that, that's still really awesome, though. So a lot of the skills you picked up in poker just did it feel like it naturally translated to magic for you, especially limited. Yes, I think it is very, very similar. And you will find a lot of overlap in poker and magic, like Efro and... Yeah. Um, who, who are the others? The I names... Know. The names are eluding me, but I, I do know I, I, a few I know, others. Yeah, I know. I know Efro is like probably the 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 biggest one that I know who who does the poker and magic. Um, I can't think of anyone else right now. I know but, Ben S did, but I don't know if he still does. Okay. And there's most of the Florida grinders all are basically professional poker players as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It, it's so. Would you find that? playing poker helps you more in limited or constructed like a a after after playing for something I, I know you mentioned briefly that you know when you're playing constructed you know pretty much after they play their second land drop you kind of know what deck they're playing but with the skills that you learn in poker do, do they feel more tuned towards limited versus constructed or it could help either way i think for me poker correlates a lot more to limited but with the exception of a couple tournaments i try i you know i've try harded basically um i have minimal experience with constructed i don't enjoy it enough i um i get bored with it very easy it feels a lot more like practice to me and that's not quite what poker is you can practice poker a lot but if you do not learn specific lessons about it you don't necessarily get better Whereas I think in Constructed, um, you can be a, t a bad player, but once you learn what to do, and maybe, maybe I'm not explaining this very well, <laughs> but like I play test with CGB a lot for Constructed when I have tournaments, right? And then he comes onto my stream and we do a bunch of limited. So he'll tell me things like when you're playing against this deck, you have to save this card because you need to be able to beat X, right? Whereas limited, yeah. you don't have those sort of like there's no blueprints to winning a match in limited um, because you don't know what they have. You don't know how much they have of it or even if they have it at all. Right. It's so much more improv. And I think that is far more like poker than constructed. OK, I, I can see that. And, and what about when um, people are actually doing the actual draft? Um, how valuable do you find like draft guides to be like? I, I can see how they could be good for newer players, but I know you do limited set reviews, or at least I've seen you do them. Are, are you still doing them? I do. I do the okay. limited set reviews for cool stuff and for untapped.gg. Okay. Okay. Just making sure like you didn't stop. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but now I've seen you do them, and, and do you still even find those kind of guides even for someone as experienced as yourself to be useful, or, or have you sort of ascended past that where you you kind of know what to draft for you you know what's going to be good or bad or these sets just as you mentioned before like almost every card feels good you kind of don't know where to go there's definitely some cards that i'm wrong about um my set reviews come out beforehand and then there are some things that i have to go back and revise sometimes like with strixhaven i didn't go back and revise but with um the mutate set 
Icoria? It's okay. Icoria. <laughs> <laughs> I did go back and um, revise a couple of things. Like, for instance, cycling in Limited ended up being more cohesive or attainable than I thought it would be. I didn't think that you would be able to get quite enough of it in a format to make it make it good, but then yeah. it ended up being one of the best best decks. And that was more just um, a misassumption of how readily available it would be in the set. Um, and so you can't really see how that works until you actually get some hands-on experience with a set. But uh, yeah, I don't really consume a ton of set reviews. I kind of get a little hands-on experience myself and then and yeah. do them. But I don't think if I needed set reviews, I probably wouldn't be a very good set reviewer, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do, do you, now, would you recommend like newer players that are new to draft to read them, like use them like to try to understand why, like why you should pick this card or, or is it better you think for them to just sort of go in blind? No, I definitely think even experienced players, if they have easy access to set review, they probably should. If somebody else was doing the untapped.gg ones, I would probably still have the overlay downloaded and then see what their thoughts were. Even when I do my initial set reviews, the way my system is for that, I take um, another player that I respect uh, and, and value their opinion on things. And we go through each card live on my stream and discuss uh, each card and I'm like, well, hey, what about this? Or uh, whatever. Or oftentimes I'll misread a card and they'll be like, no, 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 this works this way. And um, I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't even think about that connection or synergy. And then that will change my assessment of the card as well. So even if you are an experienced player, like something as easy as having the untapped overlay will like pop up somebody else's opinion. And mm -hmm. then you can see where it goes. It also gives you a baseline if you haven't started with the set yet. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, what's been your biggest card blunder or misestimate or whatever? I don't know, whatever the word is, but like a card that you thought was going to be complete crap yet turned out to be, holy crap, this is really good. Yeah. So as far as since I've been doing the set reviews for Untapped and stuff, I would definitely say I undervalued the cycling synergy. That would be the biggest blunder there. Okay. My My funny story that I like to say is that uh, it's, it's a bit old now, so if you guys are newer to Magic or Limited, then you wouldn't uh, get the reference. But Pack Rat was a really, really good Limited card. Oh, oh, Pack Rat from, uh, oh, God, what's it? Raven was that Theros or Ravnica? First Theros or Yeah, fir something? First Theros, that's right. Oh, my God, I so, can't believe I'm drawing a blank on that. <laughs> I misread the card. I opened a sealed pool of two Pack Rats, which is, like, arguably one of the best bombs in the set. Yeah. Um, I opened a a pool with two of them in a sealed and didn't play them because I had misread them. <laughs> oh man. Oh God. That's, I thought um... they just made, I thought they just made rats like one ones. I didn't think that those rats then had the same ability as the other. Yeah. I didn't think. Yeah. The, yeah. The rats they made were copies of themselves to then also get the ability. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. That, that was a good card. It's um the, you, you know, the, there's one thing that I, I love just playing limited and it's something point that you made earlier is just how it does feel it, it limits the or levels the playing field where and, and I'm sure you've experienced this, too, where especially if you're playing sealed, you have like 
especially if you're playing sealed at like an LGS or something and you open up what you feel is the worst sealed pool ever because it's like oh my gosh I've got no bombs barely any synergy everything's crap and like the person next to you opens up everything they could imagine you know that you you would want in a sealed pool and yet your deck still somehow ends up going you know four and oh for the night and just being able to beat them with the crappiest pool I I, I love that about sealed the like just being I think that yeah what <laughs> well no I was just gonna say like taking a crappy pool and like able to win with it so I think that is a little bit of a common misconception not what you're saying you're saying is correct but a lot of people like my viewers or when I talk to friends about it they're just like yeah it, you know it's so luck based if you don't open a bomb you can't do well which I think is a huge misconception about limited because the best players I know, they will still date to a GP nine out of ten times, and you can't tell me that they open the best bomb nine out of ten times, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so taking a pool that is not all that great and maneuvering it well, getting those tiny positioning things where you're getting a half a cardboard, you know, worth of value. Um, if you're making like that one one for two trade kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, and you can do that with much lower powered cards, it is. I 100% agree with you in that, like, you don't have to open the best cards, even though people tend to think they do. And I think part of the problem is, is that, I, I don't mean this to be mean in any way, but if you are a lower skilled limited player and you need those bombs to carry you to victories, then you see limited as a lot more luck based, which I don't don't think it is. Oh, no, I, I agree with that. It, it's And that's one of the things I love about sealed is, like I said, especially if you open up it's like it, like value wise like maybe the worst pool or something and you don't get all the you know flashy bomb mythics or rares or whatever and you're still able to take that pool and like all right well i'm gonna kick ass with it anyway and take it from there i love that um you, you, you know all this talk of limited i have to ask do you also play or have your own cube I don't actually. I've <gasps> played a fair amount of cubes, oh but I I have never made my own cube. No. Oh my gosh, that's that's it, it's so like I said before. I I love limited. I played so much draft and sealed. I don't play. I I unfortunately don't enjoy it as much on digital like Magic Online or Arena. It, maybe it's because I love the more social aspect of it, and it feels like the digital part just sort of takes away from that. But man the being able to play cube is especially with friends is probably some of the most fun um and plus you know being able to design like some craziness out of it too whether you want to do something really powerful or just you know do your favorite set some jankiness what have you um are, are you ever interested in building your own cube uh not particularly i mean I usually just have packs on hand to draft various things. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen my stream, but I think behind me I've got, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 30 boxes or something of oh, random yeah, stuff. Oh yeah, then you're good then. Now I've seen your stream, I guess I just haven't seen like your room or anything. Um, yeah, there's there's one shelf that's just uh, like nine boxes of Eldrain. I've got oh, two yeah, collector <laughs> mystery, uh, the convention <laughs> mystery boosters. Ooh, yeah. Oh, but that's, that's like a cube in a cube right there essentially yep so that's typically how i play my limited if i go to a gp or something we like to team draft i don't cube i feel like would be good if i had like a big group of players that came to my home frequently yeah. but um and even when i go to travel at gps or events 
nobody brings their cube for us to like sit down and play. We all just like crack some packs and play. Um, but yeah, if I go yeah. to somebody else's home, then I've definitely played a bunch and really enjoyed it. I don't tend to like the ones that are super high power levels. Like I don't like the ones they post on Arena. I almost never play them because it's just yeah. mono dragon bombs. Yeah, that, that's one thing I've noticed with the cubes that I've designed. It's um, I, I have um in my Discord we like to play a peasant cube on Arena, and um, it, it's that that one's been really fun to to try to balance especially with every time a new set comes out trying to look at the new commons and uncommons and um but as far as my paper cubes i've made i've tried to i i, I pretty much steer away from like infinite combos you know super easy ways to you know get something like blake blight steel colossus out by turn two it those really swingy plays and try to make it as come up with my archetypes try to balance it as best as i can and then just go from there because I, I feel like that's some of the most fun and limited when it's a really back and forth type game and not just who gets the bomb card. Yeah, I, I definitely like that too. Yeah, the so I, I, I want to get your idea on this or, or your um, feedback. So with the D&D set coming out, it's I've I've developed basically two separate 360 card cubes, uh, D&D cubes. Um, the cubes are going to essentially change dramatically when the D&D set comes out. But but essentially I've built a a player's cube and like a dungeon master's cube to be able to play together. This is more for like a group of friends like up to 4 to 8 players and you sort of have some people draft the player's cube and it has all cards, you know, that try to mimic the the classes of D&D and then the DM cube which is maybe only have less players draft it but it could be sort of like a two-headed giant or or an arc enemy type thing does that sound something interesting to you that's definitely a neat concept yeah turn magic into like a mini DD game oh yeah it, it's um i i can't wait for the DD set to come out and um i haven't actually played the cubes well i mean digitally i've played them but um it's god i just can't wait to build them though so so you said you played a heck of a lot of D&D back then. Do you still dabble it in at all or you just don't have the time? I don't have the time or the friends, to be honest. Um, oh, that's sad. <laughs> I, I, I did just start Pathfinder Kingmaker on my stream, though, that. and I've been having fun with that. I saw that. So what what kind of game is that? Like, Is that um, is that similar to like the Baldur's Gate or um, the Divinity games? Um. So... Yeah, it, it, people are saying it's very similar to Boulder's Gate, and then to me, it's just a mini D and D campaign on the computer. Um, yeah. You make a character; it's got all of the same Pathfinder rules. You have feats and spells, and you have to like rest to get your spells back. It's it's got the whole whole thing. It's basically just a D and D campaign on your computer, and apparently, it's got like 150 to 200 hours of gameplay, which is insane. Oh wow! Well, um, w which Pathfinder edition is it based on? First or second? I honestly am not sure. Like I said, I haven't. Okay. You you are more researched in all of the things that we're talking about than I am. I just kind of like sit down and play things. Oh, um, that's okay. <laughs> so, no, I was just curious because I didn't know Pathfinder had its own game like that. Um, that sounds interesting though because it th that's definitely a RPG system I want to play more of. But my players only really play D and D, and the times that we've tried Pathfinder admittedly it's 
a lot more complicated than D&D and a lot more work on the DM side. So I don't mind if we don't really play Pathfinder anymore. It's okay. That's fair. <laughs> it's um, it's being dived into magic and D&D is enough for me where I, I barely have time to learn a new RPG system, let alone fuck, I barely have time to like play video games now. It's like, I'm lucky if I play, get, get in some world of Warcraft time. Um, That's the nice thing about being a full-time content creator. I have lots of time to play games. However, I like sit down and do my schedules, what we're going to stream and when, and I still feel like I can't fit in half the games I want to play. Yeah, but our, our, well, being a full-time content creator, I, I guess with you mentioning that, are you worried that, you, you know, you still have to pay the bills at the end of the day? Um, I don't know what your financial situation would be, is like right now, but um, it, it's, are, are you worried, like, if you play too much of X, that's going to diminish from your returns on how much, you know, money you're going to make at the end of the month with subs or, or, or however you make your money? Uh, yeah, so definitely that has a lot to do with it. Um, you can be a content creator in many different ways. You can do it as a hobby because you enjoy it, and then you get to have the freedom to produce whatever you want um, and have very little repercussions because it's what you enjoy and you build a player base, I'm sorry, a viewer base of people who really enjoy that content. And, and if it's small, that's still okay because it's a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you try to be a full-time content creator and that's how you pay the bills, you do have to make some sacrifices in that area. Um, and every time I play something else, I definitely am sacrificing um, the income slash viewership side of it. And the viewership is also important. Even if I'm not getting subs or something, you're keeping your viewership number up. It increases your average, which is what brings you sponsors and things like that. So you do have to consider a lot of those areas when you are deciding what you are going to play. And if I wanted to make the most money and have the most sponsors and do the best I could, I would play 10 hours of magic every single day and never deviate. Um, and I think that that would definitely be the road to the greatest success for me, but I have to sacrifice some of that for my mental health. So, oh yeah, for sure. I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, if I, you know, I'll have a day where I've got four or five bad drafts or something where I just don't get to play magic for a day or the couple of games I did when my opponent didn't play magic and it's just no fun. Um, or if a set gets very stale, right? We're, we're coming up to the new D&D &D set, so Strixhaven's getting a little played out for me. If I have to draft another, like, moderate, poopy Witherbloom deck, I'll be really sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're just kind of over it. Also, I can't really produce more good content on YouTube for my drafts because I've posted a video or three for every single school, right? Yeah. So it's nice to take a little bit of a break. In my, my community, we tend to get into, like, wow, we have a raiding guild. Uh, we'll do that kind of stuff. But you're right. I Viewership goes down and subscriptions and all of that definitely goes down. So it's about fostering the type of community that you want and trying to do the best you can with what your goals are as a creator. And what would be some advice that you would give to people who are interested in trying to go full time? Um, what What are some of the things that you wish you knew when you were going down that path? Oh, my goodness. So... This this is a little bit, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but this is something I've been talking a ton about. We actually started my own team for small creators that are in um, the community with me and uh, Covert Go Blue. So it's like kind of open to everybody and we talk about a lot of these things. I've also just started a um, partnership with Discord where I'm doing classes 
they have a new system where you can do panels where people can come in and listen, but they can't speak unless you invite oh, them to that's speak. Right. I for, that's right. I forgot you're, uh, isn't Garbage Andy doing one of them with you? So, yeah. So Garbage Andy did the last one. And uh, basically, people are able to come in and ask questions just like that. So if you or any of you guys, viewers, are interested on the 26th and the 3rd, we are doing content creator panels with just that kind of information. Um, but to answer your question, I would say consuming content before becoming a content creator is the number one advice I could give because that's where I messed up. I was a competitive magic player and my friend said, you should stream. So I was like, great, I'll just stream, even though I wasn't a consumer of content mm -hmm. and my stream sucked. I deleted the VODs. They were bad. <laughs> well, when you say sucked, like how bad are we talking here? I mean, I had no realist. I, I had no ex no idea what the expectation for good content would be for streaming. Like I didn't know what alerts were. I didn't know how to. I didn't know what a Patreon was. I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. um, and I just like, yeah, I'm just gonna sit down and play some play some magic and see what happens, and then kind of learn as I go. I could have made my life so much easier if I had just spent like two months being a real consumer of content, really poking around, seeing what was out there and getting ideas not to copy, but to just see what's possible, you know, yeah. which is the main advice I give to everybody. But it's pretty much irrelevant advice because most of you are all listening. So you're already doing that. Yes. Good job. Yes. Awesome. Um, no, no. Thank you for that. It, it's sort of the same advice I give to people who are wanting to get into podcasting and all that stuff. Um, is just really finding your voice on what you want to do. Yeah, there's a million magic podcasts out there, but, you know, there's only one you. What can you bring that, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel like you're saying, but just sort of bring your voice to it. And that's something that took me a while to to find out with my podcast. Because if you look at, like, my early episodes from five years ago, they're nothing like they are now. Um I didn't really start interviewing people. Well, I still interviewed people in the early days, but it wasn't constant. Um, now it's pretty much just turned into an interview podcast where I bring on awesome people like yourself and just shoot the shit and talk about whatever. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. The um so so this is actually this episode is coming out. So we're recording on June 21st, but with the way my release schedule goes, um, this is going to come out July 2nd. So if you're listening today, um, there's still a chance for you to listen to get on MTG Nerd Girls Discord and listen to the July 3rd content creation yep. panel. Yep, 12, 12 noon PST. You guys are all welcome. It's free. Um, everybody can jump in. There is a little channel there to ask questions if you want. And then we basically just go through uh, for an hour or two and read read off questions and answer them for whoever's on the panel. I think we've got um, possibly Caleb and uh, there was another big YouTuber. Uh, CGB comes on. He's doing CGB is doing all three. And then MTG Mudsta? Oh is, yeah, is a, yeah. He, a big he, YouTuber that is going to join, I think. Yeah, he's um he does EDH. I want to say. I yeah, so I basically just invite creators of all shapes and sizes, so that way we have um a, a wide range of people to learn from. Because I have a lot to learn. I've been working on my YouTube, but it's still small and struggling, and I'm not very good at it. So it's nice to have other people ask CGB a question, and for me to be able to learn from that. Oh, I, I definitely need help with my YouTube. It's but, but then again, I don't focus too much on it because the majority of my 
like downloads all come from audio. Um, like I'd say 98% of my stats are all audio and I just sort of have, I do the YouTube is more of a thing because I have some listeners or viewers, I should say the only way they'll, they'll consume my content is on YouTube, which I find it weird for a podcast, but I'm like, okay, sure. I'll put it up on YouTube. Um, but I, I don't know how you really, hurt. what was that? Uh, it doesn't hurt. It, it doesn't hurt, but it, it, it's one thing of also wondering, like, how do you grow a YouTube channel where every episode of the, the channel is one to two hours long and you know that's not going to really do well with the algorithm and I just sort of shrug my shoulders. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to get it out there more besides spreading it around everywhere like I do. Yeah, that's maybe a question you can come in and ask CGB. I mean, all of his videos, I think, are an hour to an hour and 20. So it's definitely not my area of expertise. I post drafts that are usually between an hour to an hour and a half. And then I do yeah. short economy videos, which those seem to pop off and do like the best for me. But I'm still trying to figure it out myself and I have not mastered that algorithm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, no, I'll, I'll try to check one out. Um, June 20. Oh, I can't do the 26th. Cause um, that's my, I, I'm doing, by the time this episode's out, it's already happening, but I, I'm celebrating five years of the podcast this Saturday. I'm doing a 12 hour EDH stream with a whole bunch of people. Um, I, don't, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Cause I've never streamed that long before. <laughs> I do it pretty regularly. It's not super fun. <laughs> it can be, it depends on the games you're playing and the, and the viewership's energy. Yeah. Um, but if, if it gets a little quiet or something, it is a little tough. But if you're playing EDH with friends, then it should be pretty relaxed, I think. Oh, yeah, it, it'll be fun. It's um, the the only thing that and, and this is what I found where, you know, streaming arena for me is easier because I only have to worry about myself, you know, and, and then plus, you know, the OBS and making sure the alerts, all that stuff's working. Yes. But with like when it comes to EDH, it's also like trying to wrangle cats in because you got to get three other people you got to worry about, make sure they're all heard, they're all seen, no technical issues, and then have to make sure the video looks good, the chat, everything else. So that's why I stopped streaming EDH as much because it was it was getting stressful, like just having to worry about all that. It's like, that definitely I, makes sense. I, I definitely envy people who have, like, you, you know, where they can all play EDH in a room and they have like a person who's dedicated to just the the streaming computer stuff i'm like shit i wish i had that <laughs> so i don't have to focus on the obs stuff um oh one question i did have for you so do you have um is it just you that it's part of the mtg nerd girl like is there any do you have a helper or anything like that or or is it you're just doing it all you're the one behind everything I am the one behind everything. Um, oh, man. So I do all of my own editing for YouTube. I do all the streams, all of the um, charity events, packaging giveaways. I, I have been getting a little help from my mother. She actually, oh, that's cool. at, the, at the beginning of COVID, um, lost her job and needed a place to stay. So she actually has been moved in with me since uh, May-ish of last year. I think. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So yeah, it's been a little over a year now and she, she has become uh, a very good assistant. She um, will often <laughs> go to the PO box. Um, I've been able to do a lot more work because of her help. Like 
I'll be doing a meeting like this and she'll just like slide a grilled cheese onto my desk. And I'm just like, oh, this is this is going to save me 20 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's like, yeah. Was it strange at first to have your mom be sort of like your assistant, quote unquote, or? Uh, a little bit. I mean, she's, you know, always been very helpful. Anytime I've ever like moved when I first, you know, moved out as a kid or, you know, changed apartments, she's always been there and done like a lot of stuff. She's a, a bit of a younger mom, so she's, you know, closer to my age than most, I think. And then we, uh, we do a lot of, and a lot of stuff together and she, yeah, she's just been really helpful. Not with necessarily like the getting ready for stream stuff. She doesn't yeah. understand computer computers or anything <laughs> like that, but, but I'm just like, oh, I've got this podcast meeting I need to be on. Then I have to stream by five o'clock cause I have this event and a sponsorship at blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, okay, uh, I'll go get dinner and I'll take this stuff to the mailbox and check your PO box for you. I'm like, oh, Great. that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I'll do 12 hour streams. And like I said, she'll just, she'll sneak in like she's like a sneaky ninja and she just like <laughs> slides a grilled cheese onto the desk for me. Cause she like knows she's like, Hmm, she hasn't eaten in 12 hours. Like I wonder if I should maybe bring something and that's what mothers do, but oh, it's, that's so cool. That's all I, it's I, been a blessing. Yeah. I love hearing that word. And yeah, you don't realize like how, how much that helps. Like you said, doing little errands, like getting the mail and, and getting you some food and, whatever else that, you know, would take you away from something else you got to do. You know, that that's awesome. I love that. I love hearing that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. She, she, I think she, um, she does all the, the weird mother things that you don't appreciate as a kid because oh, you just yeah. want to go out and play or whatever. But like when you work, like I said, 14 hours a day, like I do, then a, a lot more becomes possible when you don't have to worry about some of the small stuff, which is really nice. Oh yeah. Oh man. It's, they, they don't teach you that growing up, like how much, like, like just, just every day, I hate to use the word adulting, but adulting essentially it's like, so, so one thing that's been a major shift in my life recently is my wife, uh, got a job for the first time in about 10 years. Um, cause she had to, when we, when, when we got pregnant with, um, our youngest daughter, she had to quit work because she was like an at-risk pregnancy and all that. And so she had to just stop working. And then of course, you know, being how awesome America is, we couldn't afford daycare at all. And even though we were like piss ass broke, we made too much money to be able to get assistance for daycare. So she couldn't go back to work. And it wasn't until this year, she, she got a job again and but she works nights now and i work during the day so it's it's been such a major shift of okay i wake up in the morning i come to work um i i, I work at home by the way like almost two years i've been remote um and just as soon as work is done it's like oh shit now i need to go cook dinner um i need to go clean up i need to get you know luckily it's summertime so i'm not having to do too much craziness like get the kids prepped for the next day but man it, it's I, for so long I was so used to just having my wife like either help out in the evening time with dinner or something where she would cook I would clean or I would cook she would clean type thing and it's like huh. man you, you don't understand like just having to do that every day on top of you know your job and it's it's a lot of work yeah, that that is the basically the role that uh, my mom has has done since she's got here. She is she is my wife. That's great. <laughs> well, well, kudos. That's good. 
that's good you have someone like that that's great um yeah so um shoot what else did i wanted to bring up um you've got the full-time content creation uh you've got i mean what else you've got going on here is it is it just pretty much you're just streaming every day i mean i mean like what other or, or i guess a, maybe a better question would be so you've made Twitch partner, you know, you want to grow your YouTube. You're doing really well for yourself just within the content creation sphere. Like, where do you go from here? What's your next steps? Uh, more content, if I can fit it in. Like, if I have any free time, I'm just constantly looking for the next thing. Um, I mean, I have an endless thing of ideas, lists and notebooks. I've got a, a YouTube channel that I have made but haven't put anything up yet called behind the stream where I kind of want to do like a vlog thing um, talking about content creation you know how to monetize how to do all of that uh, as well as if I post anything on my YouTube channel that isn't magic gameplay I get negative reviews it gets bad feedback so I just I want a place to put some of the things that my invested I don't mean financially, but like I have a community of people who care about those things. Like we always talk about it in the discord. So it'd be nice to be able to share something in video format without upsetting the diehards, you know? Yeah. So that's just another thing that's just like on that plate that if, if I have any time, I'm just going to take something off the plate and try to work on it. So what would give you that time? It's like you, you mentioned taking something off the plate. What do you think that would be? And, and and how risky is that for you to do? I mean, if I'm continuing to maintain other things, it's not particularly risky. If I were to like go do that instead of my current YouTube or take time away from my stream, of course that would be risky. But um, I mean, less sleep is is the answer, and <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> potentially hiring like an editor for my YouTube that could be um, as you stream more, you know streaming itself has become easier from when I started because I was like figuring out how to do alerts, how to set up a Patreon, how to do this. Yeah. And every day I would give myself a little task to, to make something better. But now that I've become more of a veteran of streaming, then things have gotten easier and I'm able to just sit down and actually just create content. And the same thing I hope will go for YouTube. I suck at editing, but as I get better, I'm hoping it'll go quicker. So then maybe I can, you know, make a video for the other channel in my spare time, you know, as that continues. Has Garbage Andy helped you out at all with editing tips? No, not particularly. I, I think I, I edited one short video because I found like a glitch or something and we wanted mm -hmm. to get it up onto YouTube as quick as we could. And I think he popped in and like hung out for a bit. But no, we're not like close friends. We don't really talk outside of stream. Oh, OK. And I was just curious because I know he's like an editor by trade and all that and he's started to make some editing videos or something like that, like better ways to edit videos and content like TikTok and stuff. And then also like another part of it too is like if the YouTube grows, I'm not saying that you produce worse content, but you don't necessarily need to put as much effort into promoting it or, um, you know, when something's new and you're trying to make it grow, you have to, you have to really shine or sparkle. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, your content should always be good, but once you've been doing it for a very, very long time, you get into kind of a rhythm and you can produce something and your viewers will come back because they expect just that versus now I'm like always trying to like do something crazy and, it, you know, expand and catch someone's <laughs> eye, which is, is a lot harder to do, I think. Oh, I bet. I bet. It's got to be exhausting, too. Um, 
you, you know, that brings me to my next question about just full-time content creation. Um, it, it's the one thing that I, I, I guess, so I had to, um, was it, I, I essentially had to incorporate my podcast last year, um, due for tax reasons. And, um, that's something that I didn't really understand too well when I first started doing content creation, like my first two years on my podcast, you know, I didn't really make any money on it, but uh, like somewhere around between halfway through the second year and third year, I started making money on it. And then I just realized, oh crap, now I got to worry about taxes now. And that's what, you know, that, that's something that full-time content creators or, or just, or people in general just don't realize, especially here in the U S I don't know how it is outside the U S but man, the, the taxes behind this thing can be really complicated. If you don't have a good accountant or anything, did you run into anything like that when you started making money and making this your full-time gig? So I actually just put the paperwork in to incorporate myself. Um, but I've gotten away with not, uh, doing incorporate, uh, doing the incorporation thing. I've just done sole proprietor. Um, okay. and like claimed everything as a 10, 1099 private contractor with sole proprietor. So you do pay a self-employment tax, which is a bit weird. They typically don't recommend, this is my understanding of it. I definitely could be wrong. Um, but they don't recommend that you incorporate until you start making like a certain amount of money. Um, I am incorporating because I want to put my mother on the payroll. Oh, that'd um, be, it'll also yeah, make, make our personal taxes a little easier. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, so for, for people that are outside the U S and all that, um, the, the taxes do vary from state to state. So you're over in California, right? I'm in Washington. Or Washington. So have, sorry. Yeah. Um, I knew you were on the West coast. Um, so it, it may differ completely like compared to Florida where the, my version of incorporation, we, we, we basically had two choices of what I could do is since I'm pretty much for the foreseeable future going to be the only employee of magic with Zubies. I, I, I incorporated as a DBA, a doing business as compared to an LLC. Do you, do you know what you had to do for the papers? So I am doing the LLC and there was an option to do doing business as, but I didn't fill that out again. I just put the paperwork in, so I'm not hundred percent sure about the process. Yeah, like I said, for I, I think for each state it it differs, but um, yeah, if you're if you definitely know you're gonna have a an employee like on a payroll or something like that, then yeah, LLC is the way to go because you have a lot more protections on tax stuff. I don't know, I'm not a tax expert. <laughs> um, though I will say, and, and this is a bit of advice for people in the U.S. that are. Even wanting to write off your content. Um, now, don't I'm not a tax expert or anything, but if you are wanting to become a full time content creator and you have not, you know, started, you're still in the red in terms of making money for it. You can also, instead of doing a 1099, this is something that I've learned from my account. You can also file for a employee ID from the IRS. And you can use that employer ID for your business and be able to write it off that way instead of having to do like 1099 type thing. I didn't get an employer ID, but I was, I've, I have been federally writing off um, like part of my house that I use for the business. I've been writing off my electric cable, yeah. part of my phone bill, literally everything as a content creator. 
um, which which does help a bunch. Um, also, the reason I moved to Washington from California is because uh, we have no income tax here oh, uh, in the okay. state. So I was able to save some money that way. I didn't have any family up here or anything. I just um, wanted to save 13%. Oh, I don't blame you. It, it's the same with Florida. We have no income tax either. Or or no, I, I should say we have no state income tax. Um, yes, so that's that the same. Yeah. yeah, and then I moved to Vancouver, Washington, which is right on the border of Portland, because if I drive 15 minutes south into Portland, there's no sales tax. So I just gave myself like a 22% raise. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, dang. So that that's the whole city has no state tax, like even buying groceries and stuff. And yeah, so so Washington has no state income. Yeah. And Oregon has no sales tax whatsoever. What? Oh, damn. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So so living on the border, you <laughs> save the, you know, 13 that I was saving t- paying from California. And then the, you know, eight and a half percent I was paying in California for sales tax. So, so wait, so when you actually go to a store in Oregon, the price that's on the shelf is the actual price since there's no sales tax? Correct. What? Okay, that blows my mind right there. It, it sounds, and, and I know people like outside the U.S., like especially my listeners in the U.K., you know, because I think they show the, the full price on their shelves in stores. You know, of course, you're aware of that, like if you shop in Washington or, or any most places, you know, you go up to the register and they apply the tax for it. So you don't know the actual price unless you can do the math really well in your head. Um, but yeah, that blows my mind. So it's like the actual price on the shelf. Yeah. I mean, every state compensates a little bit differently, right? So yeah. some states like California just kind of have it all and they're all like medium tax levels versus um, like Washington state, I think has a higher property tax. They also have the highest liquor tax in the country. So you pay like, oh, I think six, you, pay, you probably pay 60% more for a bottle of like scotch. If you like walk out the, sh- you know, pay for it. If it's 20 bucks, you're going to pay like 46 or something when you Holy purchase crap. it. Yeah. Washington, Washington has like the highest liquor tax, I think in the country. Why and is then, that? Because they have no income tax. Right. So like every state is going to try to make that. That's true. Yeah that line somewhere we all have schools you know assuming everything's on an evil even thing which i know they're not but um not every no state i think has has everything necessarily so it's true it's true i just tried to like venn diagram it to where they i got the most overlapped you know yeah (laughs) that's crazy man I, i i wonder how much the alcohol taxes here in florida i don't know i don't buy enough alcohol to even know or anything it's, I know uh, um, here in Washington, too, we have a uh, my, one of my roommates was actually doing Uber for a little while. And yeah. he had people in on the Washington side take an Uber to the Portland side because they're um, the taxes on cigarettes. So people would go and buy cigarettes in Portland because of how cheap they were. I think I think cigarettes are twice as expensive here in Washington as they are in Portland. I, I, I've seen I've seen people do that in Florida, um, mm-hmm. like like visiting Florida and like my mom when she lived up in Maine you know she's smoker and all that and when she would come down visit Florida she'd buy like so many cartons of cigarettes like holy crap and it's not uncommon to see out-of-staters do the same thing here in Florida I mean it happens everywhere um 
it, it's not quite the same example, but I went up for the loading ready run pre pre-release up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the magic players that was on the show with me went and bought a bunch of insulin because it was cheaper there. Oh, like that's God. just what people do. How sad is that, man? <laughs> yeah. Especially something as life saving as insulin. Fuck. Yep. I mean, shit. I mean, we, we could definitely get into healthcare here. I mean, God, it's just such a sad, and, and I'm in, I, I, I do healthcare for a living. Um, I, I, I do healthcare IT. And so I see it, it, it's, it's sad that like my job is a national radiology company and we have what is considered really, really, really good healthcare, like comparatively yet, you know, you still get sick with like cancer or, or some other, you know, God forbid some other crazy disease. You're fucked. You're just, you're just fucked. Like you're screwed. Is, is that a big worry for you? Like, you know, benefits like that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like any other self-employment job. Um, you know, I'm sure some creators are more prepared than others. I am, just barely right before COVID getting into a spot where I can maybe start, you know, thinking about retirement. But then my my mom came and moved in with me. So um, now, you know, like I said, she lost her job. So that is, uh, we ended up moving into a bigger place and everything as well. So I've been kind of carrying both sides of that. So now I'm kind of in that situation where, you know, retirement's not necessarily a, a great thing, but I didn't have insurance for a very long time, but now I do. So that's kind of balanced out. Well, that's good. But and then with my mom's retirement's probably not really a, a, a great idea at the moment because I might need access to those funds. So it's just depends on how big of a creator you are and, and how well you're able to plan and prep for those kinds of things. I think everybody's going to be a bit different. Yeah, it's scary. It's sad. It's like it, it, it's. I don't know. It's like you feel like the American dream is just sort of slipping away slowly and gradually. Um, but, um, but it, it is what it is. I, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well for yourself. Um, so before we end it here, um, I want to know real quick, what has been your favorite magic set for draft slash sealed? Such a hard question. I, so- I know. That's the question everybody loves to ask me, and I think it's because most players play constructed, and they'll play like a little bit of limited, and they'll have like this this one favorite thing that they enjoyed for like a short period of time. But as an, an only limited player, essentially, I like variety. You know, it's so like I guess I'm the same way with food too. I can't pick like a favorite food. Like I yeah. want pizza, and I want burgers, and I want tacos. I don't want to have to pick. <laughs> um, and they're all like equally tasty to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get it. So, so maybe maybe the flip side of the question is, what set do you dread, like playing in limited or something? Like, if that's the only choice you can do, like you had on Arena or Magic Online. Of the most recent sets, I've hated Theros. It's been the only set since like pre Dominaria that I can't stand, um, and that's I would agree with uh, that. That's because of Dream Trawler, because that card is stupid and it shouldn't be a rare. Yeah, I I agree. It, it, I I felt not not just Dream Trawler, but I just felt the set itself felt so bland. Like it, it like original Theros was a lot more fun compared to Beyond Death in terms of limited. Oh, I liked the original Theros a ton in limited. It was yeah. so good. Um, but this one, 
I would say on average, each draft I die to one and a half dream trawlers and the card is basically unbeatable. <laughs> oh, it pretty much, yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> there is no card I can think of ever that someone could play and come back from like a 95% loss to can't possibly lose. Wow. Um, there's only like one and a half cards in the format that kill it. And one of them is a rare. <laughs> yeah, that that's sad. So, and, and, and it itself is only a rare, so it's super common um, to, to yeah. run into it. Like, if I die to a, a mythic pl planeswalker or something once every three sets, I'm like, okay, that's just, that just happens. Mm -hmm. But I cannot stand dying to Dream Trawler, so that's, that's the one. So, one other quick question uh, before we wrap it up. Have you ever, for fun, uh, drafted, like, alpha or beta before? I have not, no. You know, for 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 you know, you'd probably have to go to like a draft sim site and probably play something on like Cockatrice or or one of those other programs. But I've done it before once. It was the most god awful experience, but it was so much fun at the same time too. Like <laughs> like dying to um oh shit, what did I die to? Like a hurricane or something like that. Because you, you draft the especially alpha or beta, and you're just like, I don't even know what's good. Even if you know the whole set, you, you can just feel there's no synergy between anything. <laughs> so, uh, I, I recommend it at least once, maybe even just a few play drafts. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely something I can see myself doing. I tend to try to stick to part of the reason I do so much limited is because I, I love I love the tournament side of things, going to GPS. Yeah. So I, when I'm at home, I just want to play Moto. I want to get as good as I can at Strixhaven, so that way I go to this GP and crush it. I have been feeling actually a bit more burnt out playing Magic than I ever have before, and that's because there's no limited tournaments. Oh, I, I've so, seen you mention that, yeah. So, like, this would maybe be the time where I would be more interested in doing something than that, like that, but normally I just i am super focused on just being the best I can be at whatever the current set is. Well, I hope for your sake, and especially I think for all our sakes too, man, they start bringing back Magic Fest and GPs and all that. It's, I, I miss going to them because I, you know, just like most people, I had a whole travel schedule planned last year and, you know, this year's looking pretty much the same as last year, not really going anywhere, but it's, I'm, I'm getting that antsy feeling of wanting to travel again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right. All right. Nerd girl. Um, Thank you again for coming on. Um, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule for, you know, chatting with me about, you know, taxes and content creation and, um, you know, a little bit about magic. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was going to be a lot more about magic, but I mean, time flew by, so it's great. Oh, no. Well, like I said, it, it's just casual conversation. And like I said, it's you never know what's going to be brought up. You know, we had a whole little segment on taxes and stuff and. You know, especially the whole thing about Oregon, that blew my mind. I didn't know that uh, there's zero sales tax. So, um, <laughs> all right. So where can people find you should they want to reach out? Um, I will have all links in the show notes, but if people want to reach out and talk to you or whatever, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, great. So um, Twitter is the easiest way to access most of my my other things. So my Twitter handle is just MTG Nerd Girl. And uh, on there, there's like a, a link tree link that'll take you to anything that you're interested in, whether that's Discord for those creator meeting panels. Uh, also, like I, that's where my, my community is and I post schedules in there or links to the Twitch page or the YouTube channel, whatever you know you guys are most interested in. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on and um, I hope you do well. You know, ho hopefully the magic burnout, you know, 
subsides. I know how to talk. Um, And things start getting back to normal for you. Um, So I hope you have a great night. And I'm going to I'm going to try to I want to see if I can try to join in on one of that July 3rd uh, panel there just to listen in on it, because I am definitely interested on it. And I Um, say my viewers should, too. Honestly, if you're interested, you're more than welcome to come be a speaker too and give us your your point of view. I don't think I have anybody on the lineup for podcasts, so you're definitely welcome. Just let me know. I will reach out to you and let you know because that sounds interesting. Awesome. Sounds good. We'd love to have you. All right. Well, have a good night. All right. You too. Everybody, thank you all for coming by and watching and listening. Hope you all enjoyed it. I know I did. And thank you again, Nerd Girl, for coming on and chatting with me. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Just it's I always enjoy interviewing people, especially like full-time content creators, because it's always something that's been on the back of my mind. Like what ha- what would happen if this podcast blew up, right? Or what would happen if my content blew up to where I could sustain myself, you know, be able to quit my full-time career and be able to do this, you know, would I want to do this, you know? And that's why I love poking and prodding. Like, what are some of the things that you've learned doing this? And because it, it's not that I, I think my podcast would have to blow up like tremendously, for me to even consider it because it's not a steady stream of income for me at all and that's fine you know i don't mind it i don't want it to really be but you know let's say if something happened it's would i want to do it and all that stuff and it's just it's just a lot of work like people i feel like people don't get or understand how much work goes into any kind of content creation and it's not just the, the the recording part. This part I love. This is the this is my favorite part of doing the content, doing the podcasting, getting to talk with awesome people, doing this part, talking with you all, and it's all the behind the scenes stuff. I struggle with it because it's just so much on top of just everything else and the logistics of trying to make sure my calendar is okay while trying to do five million other things. Um, it's, it can be a lot, but anyways, thank you all again for listening and watching. Know that I appreciate all of you and I hope you all have a great day.